Hey church, this morning I want to introduce you to our newest staff member, Spencer Bernard. Spencer is going to oversee our student ministries at the church, uh, which is middle school, junior high, high school, and college uh, ministries at all of our campuses. He's going to be our global student pastor, and I'm very excited. I think he's God's man for this time at this position. He's going to do a great job. Uh, Spencer's coming to us from Eastside uh, Church in Fort Smith, Arkansas, where he took a group of 14 teenagers and grew it to 400 uh, teenagers in four years. So God has blessed him and anointed him, and I think he's a perfect man for this time at our church. And so I want you to love him uh, and his wife Leah and their three kids. When you see them in the hall, uh, say hello to them, love on them, take them to dinner, take them to lunch, buy them a gift card uh, to somewhere and love on them. Uh, but I, today, I want you to put your hands together and welcome our new student pastor, Spencer Bernard, to the stage as he comes to share the Word of God with us this morning. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. How are you, church? Well, first of all, I want to say welcome again uh, to those of you who are here at our Battle Creek campus this morning. Those of you who are in our chapel area, and those of you who are at Midtown, and those of you who are watching online live right now. And, and uh, let me just tell you, church, I am so excited to be a part of what God is doing right here at the church. And uh, this past week, my wife and I have uh, had some time to get acclimated with, uh, with things here uh, in the BA area. Actually, we lived in Bixby uh, back, oh, it's probably been uh, probably seven, eight years ago, and so we know this area pretty well, uh, but just had a great week meeting with our student staff. What an amazing team that God has blessed us with here at the church to work with the teenagers uh, of this city and beyond. And uh, what's really amazing is, the, is this fact, is that there are 82,912 students in the Tulsa metro area. And we have an unbelievable opportunity to see this next generation of leaders rise up from this city. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do through the students of the church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I just feel so honored uh, this morning to have the opportunity to uh, bring God's word to you. And uh, I want to first of all thank our senior pastor. I know he's not here this morning. He is uh, teaching at a camp this week. But I just want to thank him for the opportunity to be, be able to uh, preach with you this morning and share uh, from God's word. He and his wife, Meredith, um, uh, have one of the most amazing God-given visions and so I, first of all, want to bring, give him honor this morning, and uh, just to know that, um, that he's given me this opportunity to share is just awesome. So are you guys ready to experience the power of God's changing word in our lives? Amen. All right. Well, we are in a series right now called Heroes, if you're just joining us, and we've been talking about some of the great heroes uh, of God's word, and we've been paralleling those to our own lives. And what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you uh, one of my favorite heroes in Scripture, and it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to flip over there, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we are going to start with verse 10. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to ask a, a quick question. Uh, how many of you in here have ever, ever had something that you have lost? or something that um, was actually sitting right in front of you and uh, you just totally missed it. Anybody? Okay. 
Uh, I, I'm with you. When that sort of thing happens to me, let me just tell you, I kind of am freaking out. It doesn't matter how hard I search. I am totally oblivious to the object that is sitting right in front of me. And maybe you've done this with your car keys. And it usually happens when you're like in a hurry, doesn't it? I mean, when you are, are getting ready to leave the house and you're like, where are my keys? And, and so you're asking your wife, you're asking your kids, you're blaming it on people, you're doing that kind of thing. And, and, and you, you get frustrated and those kind of, that, those kind of things. And, and then you realize, you find them, they're sitting like right there on the table right in front of you. And uh, you're like, oh, they were there the whole time. And, and uh, when I was a kid growing up, let me just tell you, I, uh, I grew up, I was a pretty big redneck. I'm from Arkansas. And uh, I would have lost my head, okay? I would have lost my head if it was not a, a, attached to my body. And uh, I remember uh, I would borrow my dad's tools a lot of times to fix things, okay? And uh, I would borrow his tools. One of my problems was, though, I would, um, I would forget where I had laid them and I would end up leaving them out in the rain and they would get rusted or I would leave them in the yard and they would get launched out of the mower, you know, and and that's where he would find uh, his tools uh, after he had just shot them out of the mower or whatever. But I, I remember one time my dad telling me, he said, son, I want you to leave my tools alone because you keep losing them. They keep disappearing. Well, one afternoon, um, he uh, had lost his favorite Phillips screwdriver. It went missing, okay? And so he came to me straight for me uh, because of my previous track record, he assumed that I had taken his Phillips screwdriver. And so without even asking any questions, he comes at me and all I hear are the belt loops from the belt coming out. And uh, we don't call them spankings in Arkansas. We call them whoopings, all right? And so he came at me ready for, to give me a whooping. And, and I, you know, I was just like, okay, what did I do? I'm like, you know, screaming like a little girl. And I try to bolt and run from him. And he grabs me by the arm as I'm running. And I do one of those spin moves. And he is spanking me all the way around. That's like the, da- the dancing whooping, all right? And so he, he's giving it to me. And uh, anyway... After that moment, uh, he went back to uh, get in his truck to leave to go to town. And, and as he gets in his truck, he looks on the dashboard of his truck. And lo and behold, there is his screwdriver that he had left on the dashboard of his truck. And he remembered, oh yeah, oops, I just whooped my kid. <laughs> and so anyway... He came to me one of the only times in my life that I did not deserve a whooping, all right? And uh, he had to apologize to me. He's like, son, I am, I am so sorry that I, I, I did that. I'm so sorry I whipped you. And, and the, the whole time the screwdriver was right in front of me. But uh, guys, I found in my own life, I, I don't just do that with things, but I do that with people. And I know I'm a, I'm a great pastor, but I'll, I'll run and walk into someone in the hallway at times, because sometimes, I, I mean, let me just say, I'm, I'm ADDD, okay? And uh, I'll walk into, you know, in, into somebody in, in the hallway at the church or run into them at the grocery store, and they'll be sharing with me 
their life story or telling me how their family dog died and, and it's a sad, sad thing. And, and I'm in Spencer world. I'm thinking about, I mean, they're looking right at me. I'm looking at them. They're standing right in front of me and I'm in Spencer world. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, okay, wonder what Leah has for dinner tonight. What do I got to pick up here at the grocery store? Or I'm thinking about, I wonder what's going to happen tonight if Cy and Phil are going to get the beavers on Duck Dynasty, right? I mean, we're just like, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm, I'm uh, thinking about. And, I, and they're talking to me and I'm like, yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. And they're like, I just told you my dog died. And then, oh, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Wasn't paying attention. But, but uh, I've, I found myself at times in life and I overlooking people. And I know that's not right. I think all of us, we, we get caught up into things that, you know, we're, we're doing in our own life. And um, occasionally I've done that with my wife, husbands, you've done that where they'll be telling you something and they know you're not paying attention. And they're like, I have three days to live. All right, any of you ladies ever said that to your husbands? Yeah. Well, uh, I think all of us, we have, we have we've overlooked. And this morning, um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the life and the call of a hero by the name of David. And David was a guy who knew what it was like to be overlooked or to, to feel you know, pretty much invisible. And his story is gonna connect with each of our hearts this morning. So if you've got that Bible, we're gonna throw the scripture on the screen as well. But 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10, verse 10, the Bible says this. Jesse had seven sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. The Lord has not chosen these. Now, I, I need to kind of catch you up in the story here because we kind of came in in the middle of the movie. You ever done that? You've come in in the middle of the movie and you want to know what's happened thus far in the movie and someone tries to tell you about the movie with sound effects and everything. I'm not going to do that, but let me catch you up here. Guys, it's election year in Israel. And the way elections worked in the Old Testament went kind of like this. No red states, no blue states, no Democrats, no Republicans, no MSN, no Fox, no Oprah, okay? Uh, the way it worked was this, that God voted them in, God voted them out, and so Israel needed a new king, and it was election year. And so God voted for David. And so what we're fixing to see here in this passage of scripture, we're fixing to see it all go down where David is chosen from the house of Jesse. All right, and, and David being the youngest, what I want you to see, he didn't even get invited into the house when the prophet showed up. And, and, and that's a pretty big deal. The man is gonna anoint the new king and he shows up and young David doesn't even get invited to the party. So let's read on here, Midtown. Read along with me. Samuel then asks, are these all the sons that you have? And Jesse replies, well, they're still the youngest, but he's out back tending sheep. It's interesting because his own father, Jesse, he didn't even consider his son significant enough to bring him into the house when the prophet showed up. And he didn't even use his name. He's like, I got, a, I got a, another boy. He's out back. You probably don't want him to come in. He's probably covered in stink, all right? You, you, you probably I just don't want to waste your time. So let's, let's get on with it. 
And, and what's interesting, church, is this. It's often in those moments when God does his greatest work. It's in those kind of moments. He likes to use the unlikely or the invisible candidate to save the day, to become the hero of the story. And I have several opinions or several reasons why I think God might do that. But the most important one is this, is because when God uses those who are overlooked and invisible, he gets the glory. He gets the glory. And so that's what's taken place right here. We'll read on. It says, there's still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And I can imagine if you're some of these older brothers right now, you're really frustrated by the fact that, that they've been overlooked now. And, and I, I'm sure they're like, what's even the point? Why are they bringing David in here? Okay. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and had some handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He's the one. And it's like, bam, it happens. And his direction in life changes from zero to hero. It, he gets a major promotion. He went from being out back, tending sheep to the future king of Israel in one sentence goes on to say, so Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came on him in power. That's some good stuff, isn't it? That's some great stuff because if you have ever felt left out, if you have ever felt overlooked or unseen at church or at home or in your cubicle at work, all right, if you have, have ever felt last pick, then you're in good company. Because on the day the prophet came to the house to anoint a king, David was totally overlooked. And he is now the future king. And that's some good news for us, amen? Some good, good news. So what does David do next? I think about for my own self of how I would, you know, act in that, that kind of situation. You know, for David, did he stand in front of the mirror and practice his kingly wave? <laughs> Did he run down to Tiffany's and get fitted for a new crown maybe? You know, did he try to pump up his popularity, maybe get some business cards printed out for his lunch meetings so that he can hand out to his friends? Did he post it on his Facebook status? Did he tweet it to his friends? <laughs> you know, what was his response? What's awesome is thankfully we have the privilege to, to see what takes place through God's word. And we can fast forward a, a couple frames in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 13. Here's what it says. This is what happens next. Jesse's oldest three sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And here again, maybe you can relate to David because his brothers follow Saul all off to war, are off to war. David, on the other hand, has to go back and forth. He has to go back and forth and back and forth. And pretty much what he does is he gets a job 
for Saul as his musician. And then during the day, he has to go back and tend his sheep for his father. And so hopefully you notice in that passage of scripture that he went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, while everyone else is moving forward, he's going back and forth. And I wonder how many of us today, how many of us feel just like David while everyone else is moving forward? You seem to move, be moving backwards. Or you feel like you're moving back and forth, back and forth. Everybody else seems to be moving forward. Everybody else say they pray and they read their Bible and they hear from God. And for you, you're like, man, that's, that's never really happened for me. In fact, when you hear that someone hears from God, you're thinking in your own mind, you're like, that seems a little bit kooky to me. You're thinking either they're certifiably a freak or I'm missing out on something. And, and you feel like, man, I just feel like everyone else is, 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 is happy. I show up to a service like this and it seems like everyone else is happy. Everyone else's life is growing great. They're clapping and every once in a while somebody throws up a hand and I'm thinking in my mind, all right, do they have a question? <laughs> Sometimes it feels like God visits the house and we don't get invited to the party. Everyone else is, is, is moving forward. And you feel like, man, I, I'm stuck in my little cubicle at work and, and my just plain lousy job and I'm stuck with the same old house and the same old family, back and forth, back and forth. You had this great hope, this great idea in your mind that you're gonna have this great marriage and things have not happened the way it's, you felt like they should and things have fallen apart and you see everybody else's marriages going forward and you see everybody else's marriages going great and you're thinking, what about me? What about me? And you see your friends, they've got the new car or, or they've got the big house or the trophy wife or the, or the stud husband, right, who's romantic. And you're like, what about me? What about me? Everybody else moving forward. You feel like you're going backwards and it feels like you're caught in this endless life of repetition. And, and if you're, you're going along in life and the scenery hasn't changed for you, for some of you in here, you're like, I feel like I'm in a cul-de-sac and I need to get out. And so being that we wanna get out, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll make these split second decisions that affect us for the rest of our lives because we just wanna get out and we just wanna feel like we're, we're, we're moving on. And that's why some men will cheat on their wives with secretaries that ain't half as beautiful as their own wives because they're just hoping the scenery would change, that something would be different. And they miss out on God's call for their life and they're going back and forth, back and forth. But check this out, guys, things are fixing to change for David. Most of us know David's story. We know what happens because we saw it on the flannel graph in VBS, right? We know what happens. We fast forward to the day that David kills Goliath. 
And what's fixing to happen is he is fixing to kill a giant that is nine foot tall. His armor weighs 120 pounds. Israel is on one side, the Philistines are on the other. And so David is about to throw down with this massive man and things are fixing to get good for David. And let me just tell you, church, that's the part of the story that I always heard. But the fact is this, for most of my life, I walked in kind of in the middle of the movie in life here and and all I saw was the hero that won. But it's very interesting to note something. It's very interesting to note what David was doing the day that he killed Goliath. And I want all of our students to listen up this morning. Those of you at Midtown, students at Midtown, I want you to hear this because here's what the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 17. It says that Jesse told David, his father told his son, he says, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. It says, take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of the unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So the Bible says in verse 20, and get this, I know it's miraculous that uh, David killed Goliath with just some stones and, and a sling, but let me just share with you a modern day miracle. This is in verse 20. This is the miracle of miracles to me. The Bible says this, that David, as a teenager, in verse 20, got up early in the morning. Yes. And when a teenager gets up early in the morning because their dad told them, that's an Old Testament miracle, okay? And so here we go. Early in the morning, David left his flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out just as Jesse had directed. You know, in my 15 years uh, of doing youth ministry, I have heard student after student say, I want to be used by God in a huge way, Spencer. I want God to use me for his glory in my generation. Well, my advice is this, is to get your butts out of bed and do what your mom and dad tell you to do. Can I get an amen? And just maybe, just maybe God may see fit to use you greatly in your generation for his glory. It says early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. And he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. You know, I thought about this. If, if I was David, I probably would have had something to say to Jesse. I mean, you, you think about what Jesse found and his father's giving him orders again. If I would have been, been David, I would have been like, did you, do you remember, all right, do you remember when the prophet came to the house and he anointed me as king? Do you remember that? I mean, I've still got some oil dripping off my head. I ain't your pizza boy. I hadn't taken a bath since. But that's, that's not how he responds. The Bible says not only did he get up early and do exactly what his father had directed, 
But in verse 22, it tells us this. It says, David left his things with a keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brother. And as he was talking with, with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion of Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. And David stepped up, we know the story, killed Goliath. But he wouldn't have killed Goliath if he hadn't heard, or he wouldn't have heard Goliath. And he wouldn't have heard Goliath if he had not done what his father had told him to do, to take the cheese and the bread with a good attitude to the front lines, to the captain of the army, to the brothers who probably made fun of him and didn't even think he was worth to be in the lineup when the prophet came to town. What am I trying to say, church, to you this morning? What I'm trying to say, and if you don't get anything else out of this morning, Hear this, that simple acts of obedience are what lead to monumental moves of God. Simple acts of obedience are what lead to monumental moves of God. The success of one of the greatest heroes in scripture, David, came down to the fact that he did what his father told him to do. And it's a pretty powerful thing to think that the insignificant, is not insignificant when it's done for the only thing that matters, and that is God's glory. God's glory. And so understand that the simple small things, guys, are the seeds that plant the miraculous things that God wants to do in your life and my life. And it's us catching that and understanding that. And, and David's whole deal got started because of what he, what he did and the fact that he did what his father told him to do. But it really didn't even just, just start there. It even went back even a little further than that because we look back at this story and the shocking part of this story to me is the fact that David, this little shepherd boy who thinks he might be able to kill a giant, has to convince the king of Israel at the time, that he can do it. That's amazing to me. And, and, and so we have him going to Saul and laying out this speech. And if you don't understand how things worked back then for, for war, it was kind of interesting because oftentimes in the Old Testament, what would take place is that armies would square off. And when they square off, all right, instead of going to war with all these men and having thousands upon thousands of casualties, what they would do sometimes is they would take their top warriors from each side. And those top, top warriors would battle it out for the victory of the war. And so this whole deal rested on the, soul, the, the shoulders of one Warrior, and we have David who is wanting to go after this thing as a teenager, which blows my mind. So he's got to convince Saul to put the ball in his hand with 10 seconds to go. And, uh, and so here's his one chance in verse 32. He's wanting to be the hero that God's called him to be. And this is his, this is his speech. He says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, 
as any king would. You're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're just a boy. And he's been a fighting man since his youth. And here's David's reply, all right, and his closing argument to seal the deal, all right? This is what he says. He says this, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Can you imagine Saul's face? Wow. Why didn't you tell me, right? Why didn't you tell me? That makes perfect sense. You've been keeping your sheep. Of course I want to put the fate of an entire nation in your hands. But it's interesting because David goes on. If we read on here, here's what he says. He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And let me tell you what I have learned while I've been keeping the sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, pretty much, go on with your bad self. May the Lord be with you. All right, this is what I would like to call the Mr. Miyagi principle. And yes, I am referring to one of the worst movies of the 1980s, The Karate Kid. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think I just offended some people. Hopefully you at Midtown are not offended as everybody was here, okay? But uh, the other night, my wife, and this is a couple weeks back, we were actually watching this movie and she falls asleep. And so, yeah, can you believe that? But anyway, it's, it's interesting. Daniel's son wanted to learn to fight, right? We know the storyline. He wanted to learn to fight. Mr. Miyagi told him, first, you must wash the car, right? Wax on, wax off. And then he says, you must paint the fence up, down, up, down. Sign the floor, right? So he goes through this whole thing and finally D Daniel's son gets fed up, right? It's in like 2 Miyagi chapter 2, verse 17, something like that. You can look it up. But here's what, what happens, all right? Later on in the movie, okay, what we see happen is that all those things that Mr. Miyagi had Daniel's son do, all those things were preparing Daniel for the battle. And, and we see him becoming the hero at the end of the movie. Well, same thing is happening right here. The same type of thing, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. The whole time, I thought I was just washing the car, right? And God was training my hands for battle. The whole time I was painting the fence, God was getting me ready. I thought I was just sanding the floor, no, but God was preparing me for my future. Church, the whole time, some of you are thinking about the things that you're going through, to think about the whole time that you were going through that sickness, that God was working. He was moving in your life. He was molding you. He's been shaping you. That whole time, students, that your parents were absolutely driving you crazy, or that whole time you were going through a divorce, that God was preparing you for your future family. 
that whole time you were struggling at that job, adults, that job that you absolutely cannot stand, and you went to with a good attitude, what God was doing is he was using you to show your coworkers the only picture of Jesus they may ever see. That God is, is shaping you. That time that you chose that marriage retreat, men, over hanging out with the boys or going to the game, that God was shaping your marriage. That whole time that you decided, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make, make it a priority in the life of my family to, to not miss a Sunday. I'm gonna be there every week. God was doing something. He was preparing you, he was shaping you to be someone who was gonna be used to reach this city and beyond for Christ. So I'm not just washing the car, I'm not just painting the fence, I'm not just sanding the floor, but God is getting me ready, God is preparing me, that God is getting me ready so that when I stand up to the giants in life, that I'm ready to be the hero God has called me to be. It's amazing how God takes the things that we go through in life and he uses them, that he prepares us for those moments and when you feel like you're invisible, church, and what you're doing does not matter, run the cheese and the bread to the battle lines. Be obedient. The simple, small things are what lead to the monumental moves of God. I once heard a pastor once say this. He says this, when you faithfully trust Jesus, with your yesterdays, you can faithfully trust him with your tomorrows. Trust in him that he's doing something amazing. Students, I just wanna say this to you. This message is, is, is for you. For those of you who your parents are absolutely driving you crazy, students at Midtown, the ones you feel like that, man, your, your parents are on you all the time, could it be that God has placed them in your life so that you can go to college, get a degree, and actually change the world for the glory of God? Could it be? You know what, this message is also for the 20 or 30 somethings that are in this room and in the chapel. To, to know that, that, that God has a plan and you may feel right now that maybe you're overlooked, that you just don't have a place to go after you graduate and you're wanting someone to kind of baby you again, maybe like they did in student ministry or in children's ministry, could it be it's time to stop waiting for someone else to feed you and you learn to feed yourself? You learn to grow up so that God can use you to impact your generation for the glory of God? You know, college students are falling out of the church left and right. Maybe it's time to take a stand on your camp, your college campus, that, that God would use you for something special and it starts with the simple acts of obedience that God lays on your, on your heart and, and on your life. This message is also for, for parents this morning. Those of you parents, maybe you're a single parent here this morning and, and man, you're, you're doing everything you can to just keep your head above the water. Maybe you're working two jobs and 
and you're struggling along, you're having a tough time balancing raising a family and working and, and being faithful in, in, in a church, this message is for you. That the simple acts of obedience are what lead to the monumental moves of God, that great accomplishments come through simple obedience. And I know you're overwhelmed. Parents, that you're faithful to raise your, your students and your children in the ways of God. Fathers, you wanna be a hero to your kids? Be faithful in the small things. You stay faithful in the small things, I promise you when the big things come, when the giants come in your life, you're gonna be ready because God has prepared you along the way. This message is also for the senior adults in this room. You may feel like you're overlooked. You may feel like time is moving so rapidly and, and that the world around you is moving so fast that you, you can't even keep up or whatever. Maybe things in church isn't the way it used to be. Maybe the music is louder and different types of songs are sung. Could it be that God's desire for your life is to pour into the families, the young families in this church, the families in this community, to be the, continue to be the example that God has called you to be along the way? But he's not through with you yet. He's gonna, he wants to use you for great, great things. Jesus was the ultimate hero. We all know that. You know what's interesting about the hero fact on Jesus? That his status flowed really from his obedience to the Father. His faithfulness to accomplish the promises that had been laid out before him. Simple acts of obedience leading to the monumental moves of God. Matthew chapter five, verse 21, and I'm almost done, says this. It says, faithful over a little, and I'll make you faithful over much. Colossians chapter three, verses 23 through 24 says this. Whatever you do, do it with all of your hearts, working for the Lord, not for men, since you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. Wax on, wax off, right? The same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the giants in my life. Church, this morning, here's what I, I want us to do. I want you to think about where you are in your life. The, the things that, that you've been through, the hardships, adults, senior adults, about the trials that God has led you through in life. And I know you know this. You're, some of you are older than I am. You're much wiser than I am. But to know that along the way, God has, has been shaping you. That as long as you have breath in your lungs, that you have a purpose to accomplish what God's called you to do in life. And what, what I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask every head bow and every eye closed. And I'm just wondering in here this morning, how many of you would say, Spencer, 
I'll just be honest, right now, I feel like I'm somebody who's overlooked. You'd be honest enough, just by the raise of, raise of your hand, you just feel maybe you looked overlooked. If you're there on your Midtown campus, I ask you to do this as well. Those of you are in the chapel, just be honest. Just where you, right where you're sitting this morning, you feel like, Spencer, I, I, I just feel unwanted. I feel overlooked. I feel last pick. Raise your hand up. Anybody? Be honest. Absolutely. I see your hands. I want you to know God has something huge for your life. And it starts with the simple acts of obedience and trusting in Him. And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to pray for you this morning in just a moment. This morning, there may be some of you in here who you feel like, man, you, you hear me talking about this and you're like, Spencer, that's all great and fine. And I, I think that's exciting about what you're talking about. That's, that's great. But let me just be honest, Spencer. I don't even understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't understand what it means to have a relationship with God. You know, like, I don't even know where to start. Well, it starts with this. You know, there's a passage of scripture in Romans 3.23 that says this. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so that feeling of insignificance, that feeling of, uh, of emptiness in many of your lives could be this. Maybe it's the fact that, that there is this hole, this God-sized hole, man, that's, that's in your heart. Scripture tells us all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what that sin has done is it has separated us from a holy God. But there's hope. You know, Romans 6.23 says this. It says that the wages of those sins or the cost of that sin in your life is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through a relationship with Jesus Christ, through what he did for you on the cross, that he paved the way, that all of your shortcomings, all of your mistakes, all the things that you've done in life has been covered under the cross of Jesus Christ this morning. And this morning, if that's you, if you're on the Midtown campus or in the chapel or right here at the BA campus, if that's you this morning, you have never asked Christ into your heart and your life, this morning I wanna share with you how you can do that. And you can do that by simply acknowledging through prayer what he's done for you in your life and ask him to come in your life. And, and that's you this morning, and you would like to pray and ask him to come into your heart and your life. And just pray right with me right now, right where you are. Just say, Lord Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize that that sin has separated me from you, God. And this morning, I recognize that you paid for that sin. You died on the cross. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, come into my life. I desire a relationship with you, God. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for what you've done in my heart and in my life. Pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. Say amen. I wanna pray real quick for those of you who just raised your hand earlier. Father God, I lift up those in this room right now. God, who do? They just feel unloved, 
I pray for those that are at Midtown, Father, those in the chapel who right now, they just, Father, they, they, they feel like, God, they're overlooked. And I pray, Father, that they would stay faithful to you. Lord Jesus, that you would use them, God, for your kingdom, that you would do something powerful, God, in and through their lives. I pray that they would see the importance of raising children that they would see the importance and they'd be obedient in the small things, God, as being a part of the kingdom, the church. To know that you're gonna take those simple acts of obedience and use them for monumental moves of your spirit. We pray these things, Jesus, in your precious name, amen.